we have the great privilege today of having Pastor Jason come and share with us. We are a blessed people to have him here. We are a blessed body to have this man be in our staff. His, his wealth, understanding of scripture, and being able to make it relevant and applicable to us. We are a blessed people. Lord, I ask today that as Jason would open his mouth, you would fill it. And that he would hear that sweet voice knowing that this is the way, walk in it. And that we would be recipients of that voice speaking through your servant to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, sir. Um, that's not playing for some reason. Uh, make sure I'm on the right router. I am. Is that open, Robert? It's going, but it's not going through the projector. So uh, while we're working on that, Good morning. <laughs> Awkward good morning. How are you? It's good to see everybody. Um, Pastor Joshua is not with us this morning. He is uh, uh, with his wife on the coast having a great uh, little getaway, so that's awesome. In fact, uh, a lot of us are going down there. We're going to meet with uh, pastors from all over the place, the, the One Hope uh, uh, team and and. It's going to be three days on Cannon Beach this week. We have a prayer summit every year. It's pretty awesome. You come together with like 60 people and, uh, and just pray. There we go. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, every year, the Lord seems to do some awesome things of uh, forming new relationships and inspiring us in new ways. So it should be awesome. Um, I think I want this up here instead. I'm going to just keep doing weird things to you guys today. I'm going to keep you. How's that? That's especially awkward. No. All right. So I want to talk this morning about how to glean, um, uh, rediscovering the joy of the scriptures. How many of you grew up loving the scriptures? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I find, on average, that people of my generation and younger, that I, there's fewer people who grow up loving the scriptures. Uh, I don't know if that's true in our house or not. I hope not. But in, in general... Uh, the, the, usually the people that I see that still have a passion for it um, are, are those a little older than me uh, who, who learned it and soaked it all in at a younger age. Um, and I, I was thinking about why that is. Because uh, I, I love the scripture. I mean, I, to me, it's, it's the, the richness, the stories that are there is just it's beautiful and it's awesome. And, and, and I love it. Sometimes the way that I see it approached doesn't bring any of that out. Um, it, it makes it seem, well, you know what, it, sometimes it gets attached to uh, just the, these issues that, that are like aligned on the culture wars and stuff, you know what I'm talking about? And so you, you come down in one place in your interpretation and then instantly you're set at odds with these people over here. And it's, there's so many strings attached everywhere. And, and so sometimes... I think young people get nervous about saying, yes, I believe in the authority of Scripture because they're afraid, what, what does that mean to this person over here? Or I'm committed to Scripture. What, what, what do they think that means? 
And I want to tell you, I am glad, I'm so glad that this church has a rich history of loving the word and believing in the power of the word. I wouldn't have signed on here if that wasn't true. I came from the school of the Bible in, in, in Tyler, Texas. And, and what we did is we trained up missionaries who had zeal but lacked understanding. And so we poured into them as much as we possibly could. I mean, we crammed it into their minds and their hearts in one year's time and then got to see them go out with new passion and new power in the word. That's always been my passion. So when I came here, I was, I was happy to see that and I felt comfortable. Um, we love the scriptures here and we believe in the authority of the word. So I want to talk about rediscovering the joy. Maybe, maybe you never had it. Um, maybe you lost it. Um, I, I, I don't know. But hopefully, I want to give you some keys that, that can help your mind and your heart wrap around it uh, and, and get a little firm. It might be a little bit uncomfortable at times, and that's okay, um, because we're family. You and I will have places that we come down with differences on. And you know what? Wonderful. Praise God. I don't care. Because we're not gathered on the basis of full agreement on every single line. You know what I'm talking about? We're here because we're family and we love Jesus and we agree on the essentials of the faith. Praise Jesus. We're going to see things through slightly different grids and that's all right. There's no litmus test here. You don't have to go through and check all the boxes that Jason believes or that Joshua believes. Jason and Joshua come down on different points all the time. All the time. You should hear us argue. That's why he's actually not here. I put him in the hospital this week. <laughs> not really. You guys you see that? It, it's, it's just, it's okay. It's really okay. We're family. So uh, I, I want to talk about rediscovering joy. That was a long intro. Forgive me. Um, Pressure-free way of looking at this. First of all, you guys immediately know, understand this slide here? Many of us have read the scripture like a fortune cookie or have been told we should read it like a fortune cookie. The scripture is a collection of wise phrases and, and great little things that we can, you know, pin on our Facebook profile or something. Uh, your verse of the day and, oh, whew, this gave me the inspiration I needed today. Jeremiah 29, 11 it's, is one of the most common for this. Now, it's a beautiful verse. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking away from this verse. It's a gorgeous and beautiful verse. But there are some who, who are, get very uncomfortable with our use of scriptures like Jeremiah 29, 11 for one reason. Well, first of all, you just cherry-pick that out of the entire story. They don't, they don't like that. Second, they'll say this. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 wasn't actually written to you. And, and then if you love that scripture, you can like feel this thing rise up and you, well, how dare you? You see what I'm saying? This is, what, like, this is when you start seeing these, these like strings attached to different cultural ideas and all these things. Like, what does that mean? Huh? Here's the scripture for those of you who don't know. But all of you do because you got it when you graduated from high school on a card. <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And I've, I'm sure I've given graduation cards with that scripture. Because it's a great word. Here's the thing. Here's the uncomfortable truth. You ready? For me. This scripture wasn't written to Jason. This word was given to a very specific group of people in a very specific time. Now, what does that mean? Well, does that mean, well, then the, what are we, are we saying we don't believe in scripture and it doesn't have any application to our lives? No, no, we don't. That's 
not what we mean. But we need to come to terms with that. Jeremiah the prophet said this in a specific time. I'm going to get back to that verse, okay? And it actually becomes more beautiful when we hold it a little bit more open-handed. Here's another way people look at Scripture. Some as as, uh, fortune cookies, little platitudes. Some as a book of laws. Now, can you imagine why? If you look at it, a book of laws, you might not be very excited and happy. The people who believe the scripture is simply, no, no, there's, there's laws in scripture, obviously. If you've read that, you understand that. But that's not what the Bible is. It's not a law book. It's something so much richer than that. It's something so much more beautiful than that. And frankly, if it's a law book, well, we're going to come down on some really weird places because it's not always easy to tell how you follow a certain law on a given day. For example, many of you guys are wearing shirts that are 50% cotton, 50% polyester. That was forbidden in Levitical law. Out! (laughs) It's not always easy. Okay? It's not always easy. There are answers, but it's not always easy. And if you try to simplify it down to a book of laws, you're going to find out yourself. You're going to just wind up in a world of hurt here. Um, There... Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. A book of laws, a book of promises, like everything is ironclad. Many, there has been an entire like, curriculum, probably multiple curriculums based on this verse because they've looked on it as a law. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Here's a law. You train up your child in exactly the right way. And God will ensure that your child never, ever, ever, ever goes wrong. Really? Friends, that's an oversimplification. God is an excellent father, and his children went very wrong. Did he do something wrong? I don't think so. This is, see, the Proverbs, this is just an example here, okay? Just throwing out an example, showing you why why we can't oversimplify this much. The Proverbs is a book of wise sayings, but not ironclad promises. My son, forget not my law, let your heart keep thy commandments, for length of days and long life and peace will they add to, to thee. You know, that's a beautiful, wise saying. And you know what? It's true. But are there exceptions to it? Yes! Because there are young people who love the Lord, who've kept his law, who are killed and don't have long life. Do you see what I'm saying? So, not everything can be boiled down to a law. Not everything can you say, this thing right here goes sweeps through the ages and there's never any exceptions to it. If we read our Bibles that way, we're going to be seriously mixed up. You with me so far? Are you nervous? Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. It's good. We're rediscovering the joy. This will be fun. All right. So we need two special ingredients in order to rediscover the joy in Scripture. We can't read it like those ways I just described. We're going to have to go a little bit deeper and find the place. First, the small context or the snapshot. And second, we're going to have to discover the larger context within the grand narrative of Scripture. In any given passage we're looking at or any given story we're looking at, we have to be able to dig a little bit. Now, this means, guess what? Sorry, guys, this means you might have to do a little bit of work. I apologize for that. I know Romans says, be transformed by the removal of your minds. I know. I know. It doesn't actually say that. It says the renewal of your minds. Those of you who are really confused just now. We have to use, we have to engage our minds. More to the point, 
we have to engage with the Holy Spirit to help us as we apply the scripture to our life because it's not always very easy. Find the context, the snapshot, the larger context of the story. What do I mean by that? Well, the snapshot. In reading any given passage of scripture, we must remember several things. First of all, there was a real author to this passage. He was a real person with skin on. He was writing to a real audience. Usually you can tell because usually he'll say who he's writing to. During a real time, these things actually happened in a real culture that's much different than ours today for a real purpose. There was an intent with these. When coming to the scriptures and and trying to, to discover the context, this is what we mean. We have to look at these kinds of areas. And if we don't, then we're going to try to, to just cut and paste something in our time, in our culture, in our, all, all these things that probably won't translate really well and might not make any sense. It might actually be terrible. So we must try to discover the snapshot. What's the context? What are the, the answers to those questions, the smaller context? Um, sometimes this is very easy to find because it'll be right there in your passage. It'll, it'll say... What you're dealing with, the circumstances, all these things. That's really awesome. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we, this is where we pull out a great Bible dictionary or Bible encyclopedia. Resources right now, guys, a little, little aside. Resources for people who love the scripture. Oh, this is a great time to be alive. Great time to be alive. There's so many wonderful free resources out there, especially if you're a computer user. Oh my goodness, it's great. You can jump on all kinds of different, you know, like you can get like an open source Bible software like eSword, or you can get something like a, 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 a Olive Tree is one I use a lot. You've got all these modules you can add on. You've got Easton's Bible Dictionary. You've got like these Bible background things, and it's beautiful and awesome, and it, it's going to shed more light on what's actually happening in that time period. Wonderful tools. So the snapshot is the first. The second is this, the larger narrative. The Bible is a story. It is a true story. It's not a book of fortune cookies or a book of laws. Primarily, it is the story. It's the story of God himself and his children. I'll break it down like this. This is how a professor of the New Testament at North Park University, Scott Knight, broke it down. I'm gleaning a lot from him. He's one of the foremost New Testament scholars Uh, evangelical scholar, loves the Lord, loves the scripture. Uh, And here's the way he breaks it down, and I like it. I I altered it a little bit, but the main plot points. First, God creates, and there's oneness between God and man. Genesis 1 and 2, that's what we get. Then the next major plot point is unfortunate because sin destroys. Now our oneness with God is fractured. Genesis 3 to 11, we see a horrible spiraling out of control in what sin does. Next, God begins uh, uh, to rebuild, and he does that through a covenant community. A covenant community. He calls a man named Abraham who has a family, and that family grows to the children of Israel, and they come to Sinai, and they make covenant with one another and with God that they'll be his people. And God begins to work through them, and they begin to work through how is it that we live together and represent him. That's Genesis 12 all the way to Malachi. That's most of your Bible right there is the working out of this part. Now, the next major plot point is phenomenal. Christ redeems. 
and we become one in Christ again. See, the, the stuff that was broken is put back together. The fracturing of our nature and our relationship is, it comes back. Matthew through Revelation 20. And one day, as we hold on to here, one day there will be a day of restoration, complete restoration, where we become perfectly one in Christ and where all that is broken is made new. For all the injustices of the world that we cry out for and our hearts ache for, all the damage that's been done becomes healed by Jesus Christ. That's the big story. Do you see it? So all of the little stories fit into this context. It's actually a pretty simple structure, isn't it? It's good, it's great, and it's broken, and it gets worse. God begins to rebuild, and his people wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they struggle, and they have terrible times, they have good times, and they have terrible times, but they're waiting, and they're looking out for a hope of promise, and then Christ comes and redeems, and it's wonderful that we see this process where we are, are walking with him to see restoration happen, and we're waiting for that day. Make sense? So you see what I'm saying? We have the snapshot, the specific context of a story, and then the large context in order to understand any given issue, passage, story that we're looking at, we need to understand its place with both of these ingredients. Are you with me? Okay. Now, there's a, a, a concept, I think it's in Leviticus chapter 9. It's actually a command that would be another one would be very difficult to just cut and paste in our society. The command was this. Make sure that when you harvest your fields, you leave some for the gleaners. How many of you guys have fields that you did not leave stuff for the gleaners. <laughs> Today, most of us don't. We have a garden. Maybe we should have invited people, well, just a little garden to just come because there's some little strawberries in the grass. Maybe they, I don't. You see what I'm saying? You can't just cut and paste. That he, but I love the concept of gleaning. It was so beautiful. Beautiful concept. And here it is. Let the poor come in and eat. It wasn't specifically for them. The crops were not specifically for them. They were for the family. They were maybe the family business. They might have sold grain for money, but it was mostly for them. And then you had the gleaners come in. It wasn't specifically for them, but it was left there so they also could partake. Do you see where I'm going with this? This is like us in Scripture right here. This is what people mean when they say, let's glean from Scripture. It's a beautiful phrase. Let's glean from Scripture, you see, passages that maybe weren't written directly to us, but there's so much to be learned because it's been preserved so that we ourselves could read it and that we could apply those beautiful principles in our lives today. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit, though. See, here's where I think we go wrong. Here's where we suddenly get all nervous about it. Like, what are you saying? Are you saying there's like relativity in our society? Like, there's no right and wrong or no right way to apply scripture? Like, what are you saying, Jason? And I say to you, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying we have to do a little work. That it's not always easy, but it's a joy. You guys, the Bible will never be so simple that you no longer need the Holy Spirit to help you interpret. Quite frankly, I think... That's the problem. I think we want the Bible to be so simple and so cut and dry, and we have all our answer man and all this kind of stuff, and what does this mean, answer man? He come, and oh, okay, there we go. See, it's nice and easy. Everything's great. We don't need the Holy Spirit to help us anymore. I kind of think maybe that's the problem sometimes. I want to invite the Holy Spirit into this process and admit, Lord, I need your help because I don't always know what to do with the Scriptures. I look at it and I say, 
I don't know what in the world that's all about, Lord. I mean, you guys, are you with me? Who's done that? Looked at that and just like gone, well then, I, I, don't, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't know why in the world did you do that, Lord? How many of you guys, when you read the Old Testament, have ever been a little bit troubled? Be honest. Yes, thank you. How many of you guys, sometimes when you read Paul's epistles or something, are still a little bit like, what's going on? How many? Okay, so I want us to be honest about those things. It's okay. It's okay. Because we have the Holy Spirit to help us, see? And we're always going to need him. Am I making sense here? You guys are like dark because the lighting's a little bit different today, so... I'm just going to look right at Ashana Lee. You're going to be my gauge, okay? So if I'm not making sense, I want you to put on like a really confused face. Yeah, so then I, <laughs> then I know what to do. All right. So we're going to glean through Scripture, and, and, and from Scripture, and the Holy Spirit's going to help us discover how we live and how we apply to it. So I'm going to come back to Jeremiah 29, 11 here. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. I want to apply the snapshot and the grand narrative story to this. I want you to see which one is more alive, either just taking those words and putting them on a, on a, on a greeting card or the other. Let's take the snapshot first of all. Like I said, it was not written to me. I would love it if it was, if Jeremiah had me in mind as he's writing this. One day, there's going to be a chubby pastor up in Oregon and he's going to need a scripture to excite him and give him hope. And I'm going to write this down, but that's not what happened. This was written, we talk about that, that, that period from Genesis 12 to Malachi. This was written probably in the single darkest period of all of that. This was written to a people who just have been decimated. <laughs> They've watched thousands of their countrymen, their families executed. They've watched the temple of God put up in smoke. Jerusalem is burning, and they think the promise is completely gone. Nebuchadnezzar is, is leading the survivors on a 600-mile walk to a pagan city. And it's all up in smoke. It's all ruined. All the promises, all the memories King David, the promised Messiah, all these things gone. It's in that instance when it is the darkest that you can imagine that Jeremiah says to these people after a 600-mile walk, there's still hope. I know the plans I have for you. Good plans. Hang in there. God sees you where you are that he's going to bring you to a better place. You see what snapshot does? You see what context does? Now, where does this fit in the story? Well, this fits, like I say, in that, in that broad uh, 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 period of time, uh, uh, thousands of years here. And is this consistent? Is a message of hope, does, it, does that sound like God through that era? Did God ever speak hope? Yeah, he did, didn't he? He did. He did often. What about the New Testament? When Jesus came, was there more hope or less hope spoken? More hope. Does God often talk about hope? Does he love us? Does he want the best for us? Have you ever felt the Lord filling you with hope? You know what? I think this is extremely consistent with the picture of God that we see all the way through Scripture. And that gets me excited. Because even in the darkest day, God says, I'm there. And I've had dark days, just like you've had dark days. And in those dark days, God said, Psst, I'm here. 
It's going to be okay because I'm with you. So you know what, guys? I don't care that my hipster friends write blog posts saying Jeremiah 29, 11 wasn't written for me. I'm still going to put it on greeting cards because it's just like him. That's the way he is. It doesn't matter that it's written for me. It's true. It's a, it's a revelation of him, a God of hope and a God of love. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Now, which one's more powerful? The empty words, treating that like a, a, like a law or like a promise or seeing it in its full color. I kind of think it's the latter. I want to um, quickly try to uh, uh, glean something here, and I'm going to uh, uh, step off from where Joshua has, has talked a little bit about the last couple of Sundays. Now, he's talked about women in ministry, and I know there's a, there's a whole like broad spectrum of where people come down on that, um, and I totally get that. So I'm not actually going to step on any of those toes this morning. I want to take a scripture probably that none of us, well, I, there might be a few of you uh, who believe this, but uh, I believe this is an ironclad promise for today. I want to look at this particular verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35. Women should remain silent in churches. Stop right there. <sighs> Shh. If any women are laughing, stop. <laughs> we had Janelle up here with a microphone. Oh, my goodness. We are in huge trouble. Here we go. Women are to remain silent in churches and are not allowed to speak, must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. Single ladies, sorry, uh, for it is disgraceful. It is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now, again, I use this because I don't think any of us would look at this and say, you know what? Paul meant that for all time. Women should never. This was, <laughs> like, women are not allowed to speak when they come with the people of God. That's better, except you're still making noise when you do that. So is that something that Paul intended for all time? Now, because it's one that we can all agree on, I want to show you why we can look at that and why I think we can say with a lot of uh, uh, confidence that we need not read this as this is for everyone for all time. This is a law. Okay, you with me? Yeah. I'm doing this little thing. That's a question. Ashana Lee? Good? All right, good. Thank you. Real quick. In the time of uh, the, oh, there we go, uh, in, in this day and age, uh, the, the Jewish culture and many of the cultures around the world, women were, well, considered property, to be honest. I know we have issues with this kind of thing today. Uh, back then, it was severe. And so, for, just for example, men would wake up in the morning and they would pray this prayer, and this developed during the rabbinical times after the book of Malachi during that 500 silent year period when the Pharisees and the Sadducees popped up. Here's what they would pray. Praise be thou, O Lord, who did not make me a Gentile. Praise be thou, O Lord, who did not make me a boor. Praise be thou, O Lord, who did not make me a woman. <laughs> That's what they prayed. So understand, it's kind of a bummer. More than that, women are not allowed to be theologically trained. Bummer. Like, you can't go, they couldn't go into synagogue or, or like, you know, practice the Torah or, or they, they were, like, excluded from all of that. So, that's the world they're growing up in. 
Now, synagogues are all over the Roman world, okay? All over the Greek and Roman world, all over the place. And Paul's strategy is he goes in to the synagogue, he talks to the people, they meet Jesus because he reasons with them, and then these synagogues essentially become churches. All of a sudden, you've got this thing happening here. You've got women coming to church, which I think is a terrible development. I'm just kidding. You've got women coming to church. There are many people who would have been thinking this was a terrible development. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is not the way it was. But it was actually a huge step forward. So here's the scene. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in the footsteps. This is not me coming up with this. This is not junk scholarship. I'm walking in the footsteps uh, of some of the leading New Testament scholars in all the world, and they're not some nut job New Testament scholars who came up with some little thing. These are really evangelical, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people like Scott McKnight and Craig S. Keener, who wrote the InterVarsity uh, 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 Bible Backgrounds Commentary, which I use constantly to preach in this own church. I didn't even know that he had developed some of this other stuff. So, you with me? I'm, I, this isn't just me. Here's the idea. Imagine this. Imagine this church. The, these, these people have never had access to any kind of theological training. Zero. They haven't, they haven't been able to come in, in the schools. And here they are, a church service. And for the first time, they get to come in with their husbands. Do I dare? Yeah. It's okay. So they come and they sit down. And the rabbi slash born-again pastor <laughs> comes up says, Today we're going to read from the scroll of Isaiah. Now, if you're a wife, what are you thinking? Who's Isaiah? <laughs> Isaiah was serving with King Hezekiah. Who's Hezekiah? Was he good? This is what would have happened. You see this? I don't think this verse on silence has anything to do with gender. I think it has everything to do with theological training. And if you have people in there who haven't ever heard it in the first place, it's going to be very difficult to have a service. My wife is brilliant. There you go. Wave. There you go. She, yeah. She's, and this is like the fourth time that you've ever been in here when I preach, so hopefully I do a good job because she's going to have a critique list after church. Um, I'm just kidding. She won't. Um, my wife is brilliant, though. You know, obviously she's children's pastor, but she is a sign language interpreter by training. Some of you guys have seen her do that and various things. She's, she's amazing. She used to do that for university students, um, and they would request her because she's so expressive and she's just so good at what she does. I'm imagining going to a sign language workshop with a bunch of interpreters, me coming along with her. What did that mean? <laughs> I think I saw an S. Did I see? No. She made a funny face there, didn't she? Like, that's what I would do. That's what I, I would be lost. I would be having to ask questions, and it would be extremely disruptive. And you know what? The instructor might say, she might sign it, however she would sign that, get him out of here, please, because he's driving me insane. <laughs> or if she has more tact, she might say this you know what, why don't you go home and teach your husband a few signs so at least he can be on the same page. What Paul says is, husbands, take your wives home and instruct them, like get them up to speed. Do you see that? He's actually giving them permission to learn, and that's something they didn't have the opportunity for. 
There would have been some hardline Pharisees there that were very upset by that. Wait a minute, you're saying men should, act, should be free to teach their wives? You're saying the wives should be free to learn? Where are you going, Paul? They would have been furious with that. See, it was more of an invitation. Now, that's snapshot right there. Okay, that's snapshot. I want to go big picture really quickly because it's 11.53. I knew this was going to take a while. All right, a few things. In the Old Testament, there are women that God chose. Here's Miriam. He says in the book of Micah, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. He sent Miriam to be one of the leaders of all Israel. There's a lot of people, guys, at least 700,000, probably a lot more, leaving Egypt and establishing a nation. And One of their leaders was a woman, and God picked her. Deborah. Deborah was unbelievable. <sighs> she was like the prime minister. She was like the Billy Graham. She was like the Cindy Jacobs. She was all these people. Ro- oh, and, uh, uh, you know, Braveheart. Together. She was all those things together. She was the political leader of the entire nation and the spiritual leader, and she was a prophetess, and she was a warrior, and she was a poet, and, and, and her, her beautiful, the song of Deborah is this rich theological thing. After she goes and saves Israel... She writes about it, and it's beautiful and gorgeous. She's a brilliant woman, and God chose her to be the leader of his entire people. Doesn't that, isn't that interesting? At least interesting? At least it should be interesting. Here's another one, this one named Huldah. This is, this is a prophetess of the time of King Josiah. King Josiah finds the book of the law, finds out, oh my goodness, we're in big trouble. Uh, he sends his priest to go out and inquire of the Lord. He says, inquire of the Lord. Give me an answer. What's the Lord saying? King Josiah commanded Hilkiah the priest and a bunch of important people with long names. Um, that I added that. <laughs> go inquire of the Lord uh, concerning the words of this book that has come to me. For great is the wrath that burns against us. So uh, Hillman and his posse went to hold of the prophetess. And they spoke to her. And she gave a very stern, very difficult word. The thing I find fascinating is this. This was the time of Jeremiah the prophet. Maybe the greatest of all Israel's uh, major prophets, or at least second or third. He was up there. He was unbelievable, and he was close with King Josiah. They skipped him. They also skipped some other people. Uh, Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, all these people were contemporaries who have their own books of the Bible. He says, go to Hulda. Isn't that something? To me, that's amazing. In other words, she had a reputation. The Lord spoke to her, and her word was reliable. And I think that's beautiful. Now, are these, like, examples all throughout? Well, they are exceptions. Admittedly, they are exceptions. Now, these are times in the Old Testament when there's otherness, when there's separation from God. And he's speaking, and he's giving hope. And some of the time, he's picking women. And I kind of think it's this. I kind of think if you're playing poker with God, he's tipping his cards. He's letting you see. If he really believed that women should not be able to speak in a a religious setting, then he violated his own rules with Huldah, with Deborah, and with Miriam. I don't think those are universal statements about silence. I think they have to do with the specific culture that he's in because God himself sometimes does that.
That's the Old Testament. Now, do you think there's more freedom or less in the New Testament? I love these rhetorical questions. Here, get this. In Romans 16, 7, the New Testament, Paul is wrapping up the letter. He says, greet Angelicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I I was. Junia is a woman. New Testament scholars are clear on this. This is a woman. And she was not just an apostle. She was an outstanding apostle. It's like, this woman is amazing. She stands head and shoulders above them. Now, is this all the time? Of course not. But she's there. And Paul himself trusts her. Apparently more than he trusts a whole lot of other people. There's other ones we won't get into. Priscilla. Priscilla said she explained to Apollos the way more adequately. She explained the faith along with her husband to Apollos. In fact, every time Priscilla and Aquila are are mentioned, Priscilla almost every time is the first name in there. Make of that what you will. But she taught a man about Christianity. Phoebe, she was a deacon. Other uh, other prophetesses, we have Anna in Luke chapter 2. Obviously, that was before Jesus died. Uh, and, and Philip's daughters, when Paul's trying to decide which way to go, they were said to be prophetesses, and, and, and the verbiage there is that they prophesied often. In other words, God put his words in their mouth, and they spoke. Finally, there's just this. Acts 2. I, I, we seem to miss this for some reason in this whole discussion, and we shouldn't. It shall be in the last days that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. You know why this is good news? Because I have two daughters. <laughs> your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Peter remembers this was spoken in Joel, and he says, this moment, as the Holy Spirit came down, is it. It's a beautiful thing. You guys, in the big picture framework of Scripture, it seems to me, it seems to me that what's happening is God is releasing more freedom, more hope, more words, not less. More, not less. And it seems to me that there were those times in the Old Testament, they were rare because it was in a cultural setting when women were still considered property. And slowly but surely, as the kingdom's grown and that little pebble, as Daniel prophesied, that falls down, begins to fill the whole world. That's the kingdom of God. And it's a beautiful thing. God is a God of hope. He's a God of beauty. He's opening up new things. He's opening up uh, 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 rich, rich treasures for us in his word. Now, I understand this is in no way, I'm not trying to make an open and shut case for everything Joshua was talking about. I'm simply talking about the thing, or should, should women be allowed to speak while they're here? Women, please, you are so allowed to speak. Speak, everybody speak right now. Yeah. There you go. And guess what? We're not gonna throw you out. Congratulations, you spoke. Was that, did I hear some men speaking in there? That's all I'm even talking about. But as you can see, we can't just cut and paste a, a snippet 
into our world today and expect that it's going to make sense. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to look at context. We're going to have to look at the story and say, is this consistent with who God is? And this one, guys, I believe is fully consistent with who God is. Fully consistent. Here it is, guys. The Holy Spirit is our helper. We will never outgrow our need for his help. Isn't that some good gleaning? Did you guys enjoy that gleaning session? Right? Those words that Paul said were written to a church in a specific time. The church was Corinth. It was a really messed up church. Here he is providing some guidance, providing some some helps uh, to them, giving them some handles. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we can go, Holy Spirit, can you help me glean? What should I take away from that? Because I'm pretty sure you don't want me to superimpose and not let women talk. That doesn't seem like you, and it doesn't seem like it fits anything else that even Paul does. In fact, Paul said when women prophesy in church, make sure their heads are covered. Wait a minute. How can they prophesy unless they're speaking? Do you see what I'm saying? It's awesome. It's beautiful. So here's the thing. We're going to take uh, some more time. Uh, I think starting sometime next month, we're going to take some more time and, and talk about Scripture itself and just how to study. We're digging in on some principles of hermeneutics, interpretation, and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, lead us. And we're, it's going to take us in some wonderful directions. This is just one example. Well, it's not even the full thing we're majoring on here because there's, there's, there's so much more for us. So let's stand up together. Prayer servant team, can you come? If you have anything you need prayer for, please come forward. Put your hand on your heart. I'm going to pull a Joshua Revis. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, that you would encourage. I ask, Lord, that you would uh, uh, correct anything I might have said in these hearts that is not in accordance with your spirit or in the way you would have said it. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would infuse truth and help us to trust you over everything, even, even an interpretation we would have grown up with, regardless of what that is. Help us to hold your hand and trust you above all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.